Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. Say, I take ears to hear. I take eyes to see. I forgive everybody of everything. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We're concluding our summer series, The Age of Heroes, today. And today is called The Age of Heroes, This Is Your Time. The Age of Heroes, This Is Your Time. Just as review, we said a hero is a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. We said this age that we live in requires heroes. This is the age of heroes, and God has called you to be a hero, someone who stands up for his purposes. One of the things we said as we took notes during the series, at the top of your notes, write two dreams. One, that you're believing for God to bring to pass in your life. The second one, to be honest and write something you gave up on a long time ago that you think is too impossible, it's too late, God can't do it in my life. You write that, and we believe as God was moving through the series, he'll stir you up and cause those things to come to pass and stir up your dream again. I've even got a testimony in the mail, I think about a week ago, and they talked about a dream that was on their heart that was a huge dream for them, and God had already brought it to pass in their life during this series. So I believe if God could do it for them, he can do it for you. Amen? One of our text scriptures we looked at was Psalm 138, verse 8, which says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. The word perfect there means to perfect, to perform, to complete, to bring to an end. Another translation says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will vindicate me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. We also looked at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Perform means to fulfill further or completely, to accomplish, to do, to finish. Simply, whatever God starts in you, he will finish it. Amen? In this series, we looked at a number of characters, especially in the Old Testament. We've looked at Daniel. We looked at Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We looked at Esther. We looked at Mordecai. We looked at Joshua and Caleb and Rahab. We've looked at so many different people. We've looked at, last week, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And we're going to finish up the series looking at two different individuals today. Because one of the things we've seen in the series, if God can use them, he can use you. Because when you looked at all the shortcomings and the successes of these people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see, you know, the Bible doesn't edit stuff out. You know, how many of you were an editor of the Bible? There's some certain stories like, well, I'm going to leave this one out, Jesus. That makes you look bad. Um, yep, God, he picked David, but he did some crazy stuff, so let me take that out. Ooh, Noah had some issues. Let me edit it out, make it just look nice and good. But I'm so thankful the Holy Ghost let everything in there so we can see that even with all their issues, all their imperfections, all their mistakes and their shortcomings, God was able to use them. And if he could use them, he can use me. And he can use you. And he can use us. Amen? So Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, I want to paint the background for two of the individuals we're going to study today. Genesis 4, verse 26. And we know the story of our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
how they sinned, fell short of the glory of God, the glory lifted off of them. And Genesis 3 says, Adam, cursed is the earth because of you. It doesn't say that God cursed the earth. It said Adam, sin cursed the earth. Remember, Adam was blessed to fill the entire earth. So when he sinned, instead of the blessing working on that level, the curse amplified to that level. So the curse began to fill the earth. Destruction began to come in. And he saw it manifested in his children. His first two kids, Cain and Abel. Abel followed God. Abel had a heart for God. Abel offered sacrifices to God. He walked with God. Cain knew God. He offered a sacrifice to God, but the difference was Abel gave his best, Cain gave what was left. And when Cain saw that God had favored Abel and received his sacrifice, and Cain said to get received, he got angry, he got jealous. God spoke directly to Cain and says, why are you angry? If you do right, why would you be so upset? So if you don't, sin is waiting at the door, but you can resist it. Cain decides not to listen, waits till a day where he and his brother are out in the field, and then he kills his brother. He flees. Now, Abel is gone. You get verse 26. God gives Adam and Eve another son. And his name is Seth, which means substitute or replacement. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son. And he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. When it says began men to call upon the name of the Lord, it's also translated means they began to distinguish themselves as followers of God. Now, if you have to distinguish yourself as followers of God, that means there's other people who don't follow God. So as Cain fled and began to do what he wanted to do, live how he wanted, his descendants followed him and did likewise. And they were called the children of men or the sons of men, all those who followed Cain's lifestyle. But all those who followed after Seth and followed after God, they were called sons of God. They began to distinguish themselves by God. So there's two groups of people on the earth, two races, sons of God, sons of men. So go to Genesis chapter 5. So one of the things you'll see in chapter 5, it talks about Seth's descendants, the sons of God, those who followed God. So chapter 5, verse 21, we'll look at one of the people we're studying today. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Now, stopping right there, why is that important? So there's a guy named Enoch, he had a kid, he gave him a weird name. The word Methuselah means, when he is gone, it shall come. So he lived to be 65, and somewhere around this time, he gets this revelation that something is coming soon. Because when he gets to the next verse, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, 300 years and begat sons and daughters. So something happened around the time Methuselah was born. Enoch had this encounter with God and he began to walk with him. And in his walk with them, he understood that judgment is coming. So he named his child. His child became a sign. When this child is gone, the judgment of God will come. So focusing on Enoch, he walked 300 years with God. Hebrews 11 said he produced this testimony or this report. He pleased God. 
The word there to please God means he gratified God entirely. Everything in Enoch's life pleased God. How did he do it? He walked by faith. He lived by faith. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So Enoch is walking with God. He's agreeing with God. And I looked at one commentary a long time ago, and it says that he walked with God. He was cordially reconciled to him. He sought his guidance. He believed his declarations. He obeyed his commands, and he enjoyed his presence. And when you look at that, it denotes friendship and partnership. Cordially reconciled, it talks about they're compatible. You can walk with God to such a point that you're compatible with him in all his plans. There's a friendship between God and Enoch. There's a relationship that's developed between them. Their relationship got so close, God began to tell him things, not just about his time. He even told him, if you read the book of Jude, what's going to happen at the end of time. Now, that's a pretty close relationship if you live at the beginning of time. And God says, hey, let me let you in on what's going to happen at the very end. He walked with God. To walk is a common phrase in Eastern countries denoting constant and familiar communications and dealings. Enoch is in constant communication with God. That means you just don't have a prayer life in the morning and then you forget about Jesus to the next day. You do take your time in the morning to start your day off right. But as you go throughout the day, you encounter things and you ask him about it. God, what do you think about this? What is, what is your mind concerning this? What is he doing? It's a phrase called practicing the presence of God. One of the things you should do every day as you go throughout the day, Father, I thank you that you're with me. What happens? You're making your heart sensitive to the presence of God. Doesn't the Bible says acknowledge him and he'll direct you in all your paths? When you're thanking him for his presence, you are acknowledging him. When you ask him for his, his wisdom, he'll tell you. And the thing is, you can practice it on small things, things that aren't that deep and don't matter. It'll build your confidence. So you're picking out what you're wearing the next day. God, what do you think I should wear? So what if I don't hear anything? Then wear what you want. What if I hear something? Then wear that. What are you doing? You're building your confidence to hear. You're making your heart sensitive to hear his voice. You're practicing his presence. You're walking with him. You know, one of the things I found out in my life, you know, I do have a prayer life, but a lot of my messages don't come as I'm just praying in the morning. It comes as I live my life, as I'm walking throughout the day. That he'll tell me something. And I'm like, okay, that's for Sunday, and I'll write it down on my phone. And he makes it larger and larger until I get to Friday and Saturday and focus on it, and he makes it even clearer. You just live a life where you're open to hear. One of the things we can do sometimes when we teach a series on how to be led by the Spirit of God. The most frequent way he leads people in this day and time is the inward witness. What is the inward witness? People describe it and they say, something told me, or it just didn't feel right. It wasn't a something, it wasn't an it, he's the Holy Ghost. And so we've all had that sense when we were about to do something and we had that check, don't do it, and we did it anyways. How many of you had that sense before? I got altar for lives, we all had that sense before. And what happens, he even warns unbelievers of stuff. He's trying to talk to your heart. 
And the thing is, sometimes people describe it as a check if it's something they're not supposed to do. Or they describe it as almost like the soft velvet feel when there's something they're about to do and they feel kind of nervous, but on the inside they have this peace. Like, go ahead, go forward, do this. That's the number one way God leads people. Through the inward witness and then the inward voice. If you get quiet enough, God will talk to you. He will show you things to come. He'll show you how to live your life. But you have to learn to hear from him. A lot of times we expect God to speak in a big, booming voice, cause the sky to change colors, shake the earth, and give you your word. Now, that's great, but that's not how God, God can do it, but that's not how he normally does it. If you want to hear from God, you have to learn to listen to your heart. So that means you have to learn how to shut out everything else and hear on the inside. That's how you walk with him. So Enoch was walking with him. He had a personal relationship with him. The thing is, it's interesting to me that Enoch could walk with God on such a level like this, and there was no written word yet. You have a Bible. You have the written word of God. You have a physical copy. You can look it up on your phone. You can look it up on your tablet. You can go online. You have so much access to the word of God. You can walk with God, too. So you need to have a word life. You need to start every day by being in the word of God. So whether your day starts in the morning or you have a night shift or your day starts at night, wherever your day starts, start it off in the word of God. Read one chapter a day out loud. Just start there. And if you was like, well, I'm new to reading the Bible, start in the New Testament. Start the book of John. Don't discourage yourself. It's like, well, I'm going to read some. Where's a big book? Let me start with Psalms. Now, Psalms is great, but it may discourage you because there's 150 of them. So start in John, receive and learn who Jesus is, and read it out loud. It doesn't matter how old you are. Start reading the word every day. Have a word life. Because that word you put in your heart will speak to you throughout the day. Have a prayer life. And as you go throughout the day, talk to God about things. Now the thing is, you can pray as you walk through your day, and you don't have to look spooky. And you don't have to look weird. See, I go throughout normal activities, and I'm praying in the Holy Ghost under my breath. Now, I could pray in the Holy Ghost out loud, but I'm sure as I'm walking through Kroger, I draw a lot of extra attention to myself. Now, what am I doing? I'm building myself up in my inner man, just praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm just talking to God. Or other times, I could just be praying. Or you're in the privacy of your own car. This is Atlanta. It's a miracle if you don't run into traffic. So don't get frustrated, oh, it's traffic again. You know what? I'm going to take this extra five minutes. I'm going to build myself up. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to thank God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to stir myself up. Take every opportunity to build yourself up, to walk with God. Ask him. You know, sometimes we miss God because we get into habits. We're so used to doing things habitually that we don't check in with the Holy Ghost should we still do it. Now, I remember a show, I like, these, I like spy shows, I like action shows, you know, I like NCIS. And so there was one of them, I think it was NCIS Los Angeles, and one of their, I think it was Deeks. So there's one agent, and so he was an undercover agent, and they tell them that when you drive to work, take separate routes all the time. Don't get into a habit, because there could be people following you who are looking because they know who you are, and they're going to try to hurt you and set a trap for you. But for what, this one day, he would take all these different routes to work, but one thing he did every day, he would always go to the beach and he would always surf. And so he didn't think about that as a habit that he shouldn't think about. 
And so he went one day, and they met him there, and they shot him. Now, he survived and made it through the episode, but it just brought a point to my mind. Are there things we do so often just because we're so used to doing it, we don't think about it, that we haven't checked in with the Holy Ghost? Should we do that today? It may not be wrong. It may not be a sin, but should I do that today? Should I go there today? One of the things I'm now in a habit of is saying, Holy Ghost, can I go to the movies today? Come on, they're checking bags at movie theaters now. Should I go today? Should I go to that showing? Should I go to that theater? Checking in. You can go to places. Should I really eat that today? Follow the Holy Ghost and everything. Check in with him. As I said before, he said, well, I didn't hear an answer. Well, go on and do, follow your plan. But always check in for that leading to be able to change when you need a change. So Enoch walked with God. And notice what it said next. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch is growing in his relationship with God and constant fellowship with him, growing from glory to glory, faith to faith. And all of a sudden, one day, he's walking with God, and he disappears. What happens? When you look at Hebrews 11, it says he was translated. The most simplest definition in the Greek of translated there in Hebrews 11 is he crossed over. Enoch got to such a place with God that when it was time for him to go, he didn't even die. He just crossed over. And one of the things I remember the Lord telling me many years ago, he says, before the church is to be raptured, they must have the walk of Enoch. You think us becoming the glorious church and being raptured and glorified, it's going to be a huge step from where we are right now. No, God is preparing us. He's getting us closer and closer and closer. We're walking with him. We're growing with him, going to glory to glory, faith to faith. And when it comes time for Jesus to come back and we're glorified, it'll just be one little step to cross over. Before Enoch left, he had been prophesying. He had been telling people, warning people. Remember, there's two people on the earth, sons of God, sons of men. He's warning them something is coming. God always gives a sign. He always gives a warning. He always leaves a witness. And Methuselah is that witness, his life. He didn't even have to preach. What's your name? Methuselah. Ooh. Come on. People probably think any time Methuselah made a sneeze, they were trying to repent, get right. Wouldn't you? When he's gone, it's going to come. Oh, Lord Jesus, am I right? Am I right? So Methuselah lives his life. And see, the thing is, God is merciful. So merciful. So go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. Because sometimes when we read the genealogies, we think this person lived and then they died. This person lived and they died. And we don't understand that a lot of these people were alive at the same time because of how long they lived. Adam lived to the time of Lamech, who was Noah's father. So Adam lived to see Enoch. Adam lived to see Methuselah. Adam knew these people. He had dealings with these people. So at this time, we're about to read in chapter 6, Methuselah is still alive. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, who are the sons of God? Those who follow God, right? saw that the daughters of men, that they were fine. And they took them wives of all which they chose. Now what happened? Those who follow God saw those who didn't follow God. 
And they chose, like, even though we should just marry those who follow God, they chose to compromise just because it looked good. Just like Eve, she saw the fruit, it looked good. Are there some things that look good in your life you're compromising for, but it's going to destroy you before it's all said and done? So it look, they look good. So they compromised. This is a time of compromise. And notice what happened next. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also his flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which are of old, men of renown. Now, when we think of giant, of course, we think about the eight, nine feet people we see in the Bible, especially Goliath. But the word giant means a fellow who is a bully or a tyrant. It depicts a picture of a person who has no respect for human life. This is what compromise produced. A generation of people that had no respect for human life, a generation filled with bullies and tyrants because the sons of God compromised with the sons of men. Now, when you read the first few chapters of the Bible, there's no mention of idol worship. There's no mention of people worshiping false gods at all. So everybody alive knew the truth. They knew there was one God. They knew who he is. Everybody knew the sons of God and the sons of men. But the thing, it got to a point where they did not care. It's a time of compromise and a time of indifference. Yes, he's God. So what? Yeah, he made us. So what? So the people of God who know better began to compromise. Now tyrants are in the earth. Bullies are in the earth. Terrorists are in the earth. Notice what it goes on to say. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great, or the twistedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It signifies the imagination, the purpose, and desires. Every purpose, every thought, every imagination of man was evil every single day. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him at his heart. God is bothered at his heart because of how bad the world has progressed in such a short time. And so judgment is coming. But look at verse 9, or verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when we think about the flood, everybody goes, oh, it's a story of judgment where it is. But it's also the story of mercy. That God waited till it was just Noah and his crew. He gave people almost a thousand years to repent and turn. Enoch started talking about it. That Enoch was raptured, that was a sign to everybody else. Everybody knew who Enoch was. They knew what he said. They knew what he prophesied. And he's living, and all of a sudden he disappears before everybody. How many know that is a witness and a sign? And then Methuselah is still living. He's really old right now. No one has lived as long as he lives. So at any day, he could go too. And they already knew when he's gone, it will come. But they did not care. Or if they did, what was in their life was more important than what God said. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect or upright in his generations. 
and Noah walked with God. Didn't we just see that phrase before? Here's what just means. Just in a moral sense, upright, honest, having principles of rectitude, or conforming exactly to the laws and to the principles of rectitude and social conduct, equitable in the distribution of justice as a just judge. Rectitude means in morality, rightness of principle or practice, uprightness of mind, exact conformity to truth or to the rules prescribed for moral conduct, either by divine or human laws. In an evangelical sense, righteous, religious, influenced by regard to the laws of God or living in exact conformity to the divine will. Noah conformed to the laws of God in a time of compromise and indifference. See, the thing about conformity, you will conform to something. You will either conform to the will and word of God, or you will conform to the culture of this world and the ways of darkness. So go to Romans 12 real quick. We'll come back here. Romans 12. Verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you not conform to the world? You renew your mind with the word of God. The word renew there means renovate. So just like if you're going to take an old house and you want to renovate it, you take out all the old stuff that's in, you tear it out, and you put in new things. God's saying you need to renovate your mind. And the renewal of the mind or the renovation of the mind is not a one-day thing. Well, I got saved, I renew my mind, I'm done until I go home. No, that is a daily thing, not just a Sundayly thing. Or with American Christians, not a once-a-month Sunday thing. You have to renew your mind every single day with the Word of God. That means you have to be in the Word every single day. And if you read something that that challenges the way you think or the way you're living instead of making an excuse and, well, it's 2015, I can do what I want to do. It's like, no, God, if this is your word, I'm going to change and I'm going to live this way. You must renew your mind, even when there's things that only you know about. No one else knows what's going on, but you see it in the word. I got to stop doing this. The Holy Ghost convicts your heart. You have this sense on the inside. I'm not supposed to do that anymore. You think, well, if I just keep living how I want, no one will find out. No, as the Bible says, your sin will always find you out. But you need to renew your mind and check it right there. It's like, no, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to follow God. And it says, if you renew your mind, you won't be conformed to this world, but you will be transformed. Just like the transformers. At one moment, they're in a car, they're in a tank, they're in a plane, but all of a sudden, they're this alien robot. The same type of word. If you renew your mind, you'll be transformed, transformed into word. The word transform is also translated in the Gospels, transfigured. And who was transfigured in the Gospels? Jesus. 
So while he was standing there with Peter, James, and John, all of a sudden, he started shining. He started glowing with the glory and the power of God. They saw him how he really looked. It says he was transfigured before them. That glory affected his clothes. It affected his skin. It affected his hair. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah showed up and started talking to him. By this time, Peter, James, and John don't know what to do. The power of God hit them. They're on their face. They're trembling. Peter's always trying to have an idea. It's like, look, I got a great idea. Let's build, you know, let me build you a house. Let's build Moses a house. Let's build Elijah a house. He doesn't know what he's saying. What would you say if that happened? All of a sudden, we're walking together, and I just began to glow. Just began to shine. Some of y'all would have left me on that spot. Sorry, sorry, Pastor, too much today. Tell me how it goes. Especially if two people who've been dead for centuries already show up, one who was raptured and the other person was buried by God himself, show up saying, nope, I'm good. Periscope it for me. And then while they're talking and they're hearing what they're saying, all of a sudden the glory cloud begins to cover the mount. And there's a voice coming out of the cloud. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. It's the same cloud that covered the mountain in Moses' day. It's the father himself. And it says they all began to shake and they fell like dead men. They fell out on the power again. And when they came to, Jesus was looking normal again. Hey, don't tell anyone about this until after I'm raised from the dead. And they leave the mountain. Imagine what you're thinking about. But what was that? Transfiguration. Transformation. In the same way, when you renew your mind by the word of God, you'll be transformed. It says, as we behold him face to face, we'll go from glory to glory. What are we going to look like? Just like Jesus. We can get to that to later. But when, we, when he appears, we'll be just like him. We'll be glorified just like him. We'll be shining just like him. Power flowing through us just like him. It says when he comes back, we should all be changed in a twinkling of an eye. And it's not going to be this huge change. It's going to be just like Enoch when he just crossed over. It's just going to be just like Jesus. He's standing on the mountain. All of a sudden, he's transfigured. That day is coming for you. So go back to Genesis 6. Renew your mind. So number one, walk with God. Number two, conform and be transformed. This is not the time to just go with what is popular culture. This is not the time to just go, well, because the singer or politician or businessman said, I go ahead and believe it, and I choose this over the Word of God. These are times to stick with the Word of God. It's not the time to compromise. It's not the time to become indifferent and let our heart grow cold. It's time to walk with God on another level. It's time for our dedication and our commitment to the things of God to go up to another level. So Genesis 6, so we know Noah walked with God in verse 9. He had three sons. In verse 11, it says, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Notice that the earth itself was corrupt. Not the people, the earth itself was corrupted by the sin of the people. Now, what happens as the earth is corrupt, the climate begins to change. There are earthquakes. Volcanoes erupt. The earth begins to respond under the weight of sin. It ages the planet. And natural disasters begin to occur. And on top of that, the earth was filled with violence. Remember, 
Tyrants, bullies, no respect for human life. Murder is a common thing. Theft is a common thing. Violence is accelerating. Wicked people are shedding blood. No respect for life. I'm sure if they could, they would have taken babies and sold their parts as well to cover their bottom line. No respect for life. And this is what Noah walked in. This is where Noah lived. And God says, judgment's coming. I've given them all this time. So here's what I want you to do, Noah. I want you to build yourself an ark. Could you imagine, Noah? What's an ark? It's going to save you and your family. I need you to get all the animals, all the unclean animals, and all the clean animals, the clean ones by seven, the unclean by two, and I need you to build an ark because it's going to rain. Excuse me, sir, what's rain? It's never rained before. I was like, of course the day I preach on Noah, it rains like cats and dogs outside. And it says that Noah believed God about something he has never seen before. It had never rained. The earth was watered by then by a mist that came up out of the earth. It had never rained before. So God is telling them things to come that no one has seen before, that it's uncommon in his generation. But he believed God and he walked by faith, as that's what Hebrews 11 said. And so he prepared or he built an ark for the saving of his house. Now the thing is people think, well, Noah must have been good with tools. The Bible doesn't say that. Noah could have struggled with an Ikea map. So Noah is building an ark. See, God can call you to do things you may not feel qualified for, but he can give you the blessing, he can give you anointing that qualifies you and enables you to do it. So Noah built an ark. It takes him about 100 years. Whew. That's faithfulness. Not just took me a few weeks, took me a couple years. Every day for about a century, no modern tools, hammer and nails, and he builds. Peter also calls him a preacher of righteousness. So as he is building, as he is working, he is preaching righteousness. He's preaching, just like Enoch said, judgment is coming. If you don't turn now, you'll be caught up in this judgment. But they refuse to listen. They compromise. They're indifferent. They're violent. They don't care about life, and they don't care what this crazy boat-building preacher said. So he keeps building. He keeps building. He keeps building. And you get to chapter 7, verse 4. Actually, look at chapter 6, verse 22 first. God gives them specific instructions. What wood to use, how to build it, how long it should be, how big it should be. Verse 22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. In chapter 7, verse 5, it says, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Everything. He did not leave one thing out. Noah was completely obedient to the call of God on his life. He fulfilled every instruction. If Noah can do it, you can do it. Now, the only way Noah could do it is as he spent time with God. He walked with God. He inquired of God, God, what do you think about this? How am I supposed to do this? And God told him, he asked, he heard, and then he obeyed. So you must fully obey and fulfill your calling. 
So he's living this way, preaching this way, believing God, even though no one else believes him. We don't even know his family believes him. They think, Dad's finally lost it. <laughs> but they helped him anyways. And notice what I said in chapter 7, verse 4. God says to him, well, even before we get there, how in the world is Noah going to gather all these animals? God tells them you get two by two and the clean by seven. How am I supposed to do this? We don't even know if Noah liked animals. We don't even know if he was a dog person or a cat person. Who says Noah even liked animals? But by faith, he built this ark, and it's as God brought them. So all of a sudden, the ark is built, the door opens, and here's the animal kingdom outside. Every single one of them showed up for their reservation to get on the boat. Come on, the Women of Virtue cruise starts tomorrow. There'll be people signing up. See, they're excited. Imagine, y'all think about this tomorrow when y'all get on the boat. If y'all get in line and all of a sudden, two lions walk up, two giraffes walk up, here's some zebras, here's two alligators, here's some birds flying. Can you imagine what's going through Noah's mind? Really? But chapter 7, verse 4, God speaks to him and says, For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. Notice he gives another warning. When I look at the Jewish commentaries in the Humash, and it says, this is the day Methuselah died. Because remember, Methuselah's a witness, he's a sign. Outside of no, he's the last remaining person who believes in God. So this is the day Methuselah dies. Remember, his name means when he is gone, it shall come. God gives another sign. Now Noah has another message for seven days. In seven days, the flood is coming. It's going to rain. Ah, it's never rained before. We don't believe you, preacher. Jesus is coming back. Y'all been saying it a long time. We don't believe you, preacher. God always gives another sign. He always says, yet seven days, yet six days, yet five days. He's announcing what's about to come. But the compromising world, the indifferent world, either doesn't believe them or they don't care. Yet seven days, something is about to happen. And they don't believe. But Noah believed. And he got on the boat. And it says in verse 10, and it came to pass after seven days, the waters of the flood were upon the earth. And when he says, you look, when you look at verse 16, is that they got in the boat and no one even had to close the door. It's the Lord shut them in. And then when they were inside, it begins to rain. Now you got to think, the world's population, they've never seen rain before. Oh, what's this? Oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, water's falling, but it keeps falling. Okay, this is nice, it's getting old. Keeps falling. I've got some water up to my ankles now. But then it's not just rain coming. It says the windows of heaven are open, and there are some believing scientists who believe that at this time there was a canopy over the earth that reflected the rays of the sun and all the other rays that come into the earth to help the way people lived, and there was a canopy of water above. But when this day came, that canopy was broken and water began to fall in massive amounts. But then it also says in this chapter that gushers opened up from the earth. So water's coming from above, water's coming from below. So at first the rain might have been cute, but all of a sudden water's growing really quickly. 
Let's get into the knees. That crazy preacher must have been right. Now, how many know there are people running towards the boat? Noah, let me in. Come on, let me in. I let you borrow $10 200 years ago. Let me in. But the Lord has shut the door. Time had run out. The floodwaters come. Every living thing that's not in the boat is destroyed. The waters cover the highest mountain. Now you got to think about Noah. His faithfulness with God has got him, has saved him, but he's in not that comfortable of a position. He's in a boat with his family. Something's like, oh, Lord Jesus. Something's like, I love my family, but 40 days, 40 nights in a small little cabin, that's enough. That's a reality TV show. Y'all don't want to see me. But even if him and his family were cool, all those animals. I just got two dogs, and that's enough. But all those animals, all that noise, all that poop. <laughs> Imagine what Noah is going through. There's no drama mean. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Till the rain stopped. But now the waters have to decide. It takes almost a year for all the water to disappear. Although you're saved, sometimes when you follow God, you may get into a season that's uncomfortable. But it's still for your salvation. If you keep going through that season, what's on the other side will be greater than what you can imagine. So the floodwaters disappear. The boat lands. They finally walk out. Imagine what Noah's seen. Imagine the destruction, mountains that have crumbled, trees, what remains of houses and human and animal remains have filled the earth. Imagine what's going through his head. What am I supposed to do now? Yes, I'm saved, but look at this mess. Chapter 9, verse 1, God's answer to the mess. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What happened? Noah's looking at worldwide devastation. God blesses him because the blessing is so strong it can rebuild the entire planet. So here is a family of eight who received the blessing. Now God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the entire earth, rebuild it and make it better than it was. The blessing can rebuild waste places. It can rebuild destroyed places. It can rebuild ruined places. Think about this. When Hurricane Katrina came, it's still, we're still trying to fix everything that one hurricane did 10 years ago. Our modern technology is still taking over a decade to get back to where it was. But God blessed one family and says this blessing is strong enough to take care of the entire planet. We looked last week what the blessing did in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and we saw from Galatians 3 that same blessing God gave to Noah and gave to Abraham and gave to Isaac and gave to Jacob and gave to Joseph. He gave to you. So what will you rebuild with the blessing of God? What family will you rebuild? What financial situation will you rebuild? Whose life will you encounter and rebuild with the blessing of God? Because when judgment comes, because judgment is coming, what you have can rebuild. 
He blessed Noah. So go to Matthew 24. How does that apply to me today, preacher? Go to Matthew 24. Enoch warned. He lived before God. And God raptured him. Noah walked with God. He warned. And God saved and delivered him. Matthew 24. So when you look at the Bible, there are things that God will do in the future that he's laid the groundwork or the foreshadowing or the example in the past. So the Old Testament is given for our example and our end sample. It's given us to show us the patterns of God, his mode of operations. Matthew 24, verse 37. Matthew 24, verse 37. Notice what Jesus said. Read it with me. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, Paul's there. We've looked at today how in the days of Noah, it was a time of compromise. It was a time of indifference. It was a time of violence. It was a time of tyrants, bullies, and terrorists. It was a time of disrespect for human life. Sound familiar? He says, as the days of Noah were, so will it be right before the Son of Man, Jesus, comes back. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So life keeps going on as normal. See, the future before the world is largely made up of judgment. It's largely made up of different things that will happen. You know, the economy can fall and rise, fall and rise. It's going to keep doing that. If people are going to keep eating, drinking, giving in marriage, life is going to go on as normal. Even though there's warnings that will be given, people will keep living up until that day when God closes the door. Notice what it says next. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So he compares Noah's time to the time before Jesus comes back. And he says it's going to happen when the time people don't think it. Because, you know, in a time people think, well, Jesus is going to come back. And he doesn't, and they forget, oh, he's not coming back for a long time. And when we read the rest of the New Testament, it's when people began to say he won't come back for a while. That's when he's about to come back. And so, how was Noah foreshadowing of the rapture of the church? People say, well, well what rapture? Pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation? Well, the Bible tells me I'm redeemed from wrath. And the tribulation is seven years of wrath. I'm redeemed from it, so I'm getting out on the pre-trib rapture. You can stay, tribulate if you want to. I'm out. And so, imagine Noah. Yes, Enoch was raptured. He was the first rapture in the Bible. Elijah was second. Jesus was the third. The pre-trib rapture of the church is fourth. There's a mid-tribulation rapture. That's five. 
There's the 144,000 Jewish witnesses in the book of Revelation, that's six. And the last one is the two witnesses on the last day of the tribulation. But Enoch was raptured, and so he didn't go through it. But how did Noah escape the destruction, the wrath that came upon the earth? God put him in a safe place, lifted him up above everything, waited for everything to happen. When all came down, he brought him back. That's how it's going to be in the rapture of the church. Jesus is going to take his, lift them up above everything, take them to heaven to have a seven-year party. And when it's all said and done, he said, we're coming back. So just like Noah lifted them up to miss all the destruction, God will do the same thing for you. Notice it goes on to say, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such hours you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is faithful and a wise servant, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find doing. God has given each and every one of us an assignment or a calling to fulfill. We must be like Noah and do everything he's told us to do. Fulfill every single assignment, not leave one thing undone. Because if you're that servant, who when God, Jesus comes back and you're doing the right thing, as it says, your great reward, it will be there for you. Now, people think, well, if I'm saved, I'm getting raptured. The Bible doesn't say that. When we look at the different parables Jesus told concerning the rapture and the coming of the Son of Man in the Gospels, it talks about all those who are watching, all those who are ready, got raptured. Meaning you can be saved and backslidden or saved and just compromising or saved and indifferent and you miss out on the rapture. You say, but you ain't going up. Watch, therefore. Because think when Jesus comes back, what will you be doing? Will you just be living your life, just living for God, no matter where you are? Or will you pick that day as the day? It's like, you know what? I've been following God. I've been living for him. You know what? Well, this is too much. I need a drink. And why would you pick the day Jesus returns as the day to get wasted? I'm not talking about chocolate wasted, but you're getting wasted. Or you're like, you know what? It's legal in Colorado. Oh, Jesus, this is not what it looks like. It's incense, Lord, incense. Are you single? Been living holy, keeping yourself? It's been too long, Lord. Things begin to get heated. Clothing begins to fall off. Dun, da, da. It's not what it looks like. What are you going to say? Go to 1 John 3. What will the Lord find you doing when he returns? Will he find you actively fulfilling your purpose? Just like Noah worked and preached, you must build the dream, you must work your gift, you must fulfill your call, and you must proclaim Jesus' return. You must warn people like Enoch and Noah did. Yet, seven days. The time is coming to a close. Jesus is returning. 1 John 3. And people say, well, they've been saying Jesus is coming back for 2,000 years. Well, he's still coming back. And the thing is, one of the things when I study revivals and awakenings throughout history, one thing that was common that the Holy Ghost would always say is prepare, Jesus is coming back. 
When you look at the first great awakening before the United States was formed as a nation, what led to in the first founding days of a nation, they had calls to prayer for the return of the Lord. You go find those historical documents where governors, mayors were like, let's pray for the return of the Lord. God did something and they think, well, Jesus must be coming soon. The second great awakening, Jesus must be coming soon. We look at Azusa Street, Jesus is coming soon. They began to prophesy. They began to warn. Amy Simple McPherson rises up. Mariah Woolworth Edder, Jesus is coming soon. Prepare people for the return of the Lord. Kenneth Hagin, Oral Roberts, prepare people for the return of the Lord. Every time the Holy Ghost moves, it seems like he's pointing people to Jesus is coming soon. Even if it doesn't happen in a lifetime, Jesus is coming soon. Why? 1 John 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. We are the sons of God right now. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when we see Jesus, we'll look just like him, be glorified just like him, be looking just like our risen Savior. And every man, that has this hope in him, purifies himself even as he, Jesus, is pure. Why? If you always keep it in your mindset that Jesus is coming soon, you ain't going to act crazy. You ain't going to turn up. Why? You're like, you turning up, trying to whip a nene while you're drinking at the same time? You're like, Jesus may be coming back. <laughs> you know, if I'm a nene, I'm a nene in the clouds, but I ain't going to stay on this earth. If you keep this in your mind, you'll keep yourself pure. It affects your decision making. It affects how you live. So since every revival, every move of God, the Holy Ghost begins to talk about the return of the Lord. Why? It helps people live the way they're supposed to. And it gets closer and closer, God gives more signs. He gives more wonders. And we're at a time where we have to start saying, yet in seven days. I'm not saying something's going to happen next Sunday. But the time that started from when Enoch began to prophesy, and when Methuselah was born, to when Noah began to build the ark, that time for our civilization today has passed. We're in a time where everything's going to happen shortly and quickly. And I have to say, yet seven days. So whether it's seven years, whether it's seven months, whether it's 70 years, there's coming something on this earth. The return of the Lord's drawing closer and closer and closer and closer. But what will he find you doing? And as Jesus said in Mark 13, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. When you look at the churches in the book of Revelation, there was one church that was so spiritually dead they didn't even know what season it is in the things of God. You can be so spiritually insensitive, so spiritually dead that you don't even know Jesus is coming back. You're like, what, Jesus is coming? Who? There is a rapture? They don't know. They've compromised. They're indifferent. They're focused on the things of the world. Their spirits are not alive to God, even though they're born again. They become spiritually insensitive, spiritually hard-headed. And they don't know Jesus is coming. And they get left. But when you look at Revelation 3, the church of Philadelphia, it's a picture of the church that gets raptured. It tells about put before you a wide open door. And the next thing you see in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 and 3, is John raptured to the throne of God, picturing the church. 
the church that lives the way it's supposed to will be raptured. They will be taken up. The church that is found doing. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4. We're close here. Ephesians 5 says that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. It's a church that keeps the hope before them that Jesus is returning. But it's the church that is found doing. Not just believing, but doing. Remember, Noah didn't believe him an ark. He didn't confess him an ark. He built an ark. We're faith people, we believe, we confess, but we have to put some legs to our faith. If we actually believe God has called us to fulfill this dream, he's called us to walk in this purpose, there is some legwork we must do on the natural side for it all to come to pass. Youth, there's some studying you must do. There's some attention you have to pay. There's some research you must do. There is some work that you must do so that when he comes back, he finds you doing. You must build the dream. You must work your gift. And you must proclaim he's coming soon. 1 Thessalonians 4. And the thing is, just like Noah did everything that God called him to do. There may be some things in your life that I'm willing to do them, but unless God moves supernaturally, there's no way I can get it done. See, the thing is with a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, you can look at your life. Think about the situations you're in. That's definitely a spot. Ooh, that debt, that's a wrinkle. This problem that's weighing me now, this thing that's preventing me. It's a spot, it's a wrinkle, but the church he's coming for has no spots has no wrinkles, which means in the short period of time that's left before Jesus returns, whether it's a month, whether it's 70 years, whether it's 70 years, or whether it's 100 years, in the short period of time, God is going to do so many amazing things to get you to the point, to get you to the place that you can stand glorious without spot or wrinkle, that you can fulfill every single thing he's called you to do. So it doesn't matter what's in your way right now. What's coming is going to remove it out the way. So that when he comes back, he's not coming back on a rescue mission. Going, oh, the church is in trouble. There's too many sinners. The church is hiding out in their caves because someone stole their Bibles. Oh, I better come back. Father, let me come back. They really need me right now. He's coming back for a glorious church with a spot of wrinkle. That is a triumphant church. That's a church that has the devil under their feet. That's a church that walks in love, walks by faith, walks in unity, walks in the spirit, that does miracles, signs, and wonders, walks in power, looking just like Jesus. So that when Jesus comes back, people are without an excuse. Just like in Noah's day, they were without an excuse. So there are signs coming on the earth before Jesus returns that will leave everybody without an excuse where they know there is one true God. They know who he is. They know they sent, he sent Jesus, and now they have a decision. Will we receive Jesus or whether we be indifferent? But in order to do that, the church must be the church, and the church must do the work. The church must be glorious. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But brethren, I would not have you ignorant and uninformed concerning them which are asleep or those who have died already, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. We don't sorrow like the world sorrows. 
Why? Jesus bore our grief. We don't have to carry our grief. And especially if we know they died in Jesus, our, we know we'll see them again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many believe that Jesus died and rose again? Even so, them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's not coming back in a whisper. He's not coming back, oh, it's time to come home, my little children. It's time to come home. He's coming back with a shout, a triumphant shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Come on, my victorious church. Come on, my triumphant body. Come on, my believers. It's time for you to go to your reward. It's a victory procession in the sky. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort or exhort one another with these words. What are the words? Jesus is coming soon. So get ready. Prepare yourself. Believe and fulfill what God has called you to do. If he did it in Joshua and the children of Israel, we looked at Joshua and it said not one promise failed them. Everything God promised came to pass. Before Jesus comes back, there are promises he's made to you personally. There's promises he's given to you concerning the dreams, the plans, and the purpose he called you to do. Every single one shall come to pass. Not one good thing God has promised you will fail. Everything he needs to do to change your situation, to get your family together, to call things to happen, will happen. And it will come in one moment in a twinkling of eye. You'll find yourself glorified. You'll find yourself looking just like Jesus. And then not too long after that, you'll be caught up in the air. That day is coming. There may be some things in your life that got to move out the way. Well, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far above all you can ask, think, pray for, imagine. So you believe God. You set your faith in this time. That believe in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that's going to take you up to meet him in the air. It's the same power that will fix your life, turn things around for you. The Lord will perfect that which concerns you if he began a good work in you. He will carry it on to the day of what? Jesus Christ. That day is coming soon. So there's some perfection that must happen. There's some completion that must happen. There's some finishing that must happen. That day is getting closer and closer. So every day you start your day rejoicing. This may be the day everything changes for me. This may be the day when God perfects that which concerns me. This may be the day God accomplishes everything he's promised. So this is the time of the great hope of the believer. It's not the time. Well, judgments come. We should be sad. No. We should be distressed. No. Because on the other side, it's glory. On the other side, there's hope. Yes, there's something coming on this nation. But on the other side, this nation is going to wake up and do what God told it to do in the first place. So I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I'm a preacher that believes the word. I believe that God is able I believe that all those sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I believe that this is your time. 
I believe the greatest day of the church are still ahead of it. I believe your best is yet to come, that everything God promised shall come to pass, that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So you should stir yourself up every single day and say, if God did it for Enoch, if he did it for Noah, if he did it for them, if he did it for Caleb and Joshua and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, if he did it for Rahab, if he did it for Caleb, if he did it for David, if he did it for Daniel, if he did it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if he did it for Nehemiah, if he did it for Esther, if he did it for Mordecai, he will do it for me. This is the time of the great rejoicing of the church. This is our finest hour. You got to think about all those people I just named were right for their time. And if it's the roughest hour of the world's history, God puts the strongest players in. If it's a game and you're trying to win the game and everything's tight, you don't put your second string in. You don't put your rookies in. You don't put in people who don't know what they're doing. Your best players will be playing at the very end to make sure you win. God has planned this before the world began. And he knew who needed to be here at the very end before Jesus returns. And guess what? That's you. You're here. Your finest hour is God's finest hour. He's going to show up and show out with his power. I was preaching on a Wednesday night about a week or two ago. And I was just preaching and this came out of my spirit. I didn't plan to say it. The Holy Ghost just said it. And he said, everything you've been praying about and you've been asking for will come to pass in your life soon. And after I said, I kind of backed up. And he got to begin to think. There have been some things I've been believing for. There's some things that are greater than what I can cause to pass in my own. But if Jesus is coming, and there's some things God has to do before Jesus comes back, he can do it. He will do it. He's able and he's faithful. So I trust him now for the greater glory. I trust him for miracles. See, the thing is, you may have a, something in your life that looks impossible. God didn't tell you to pay for it. He told you to believe for it. Well, I can't do it. Well, let the God who lives in you do it through you. It's a time to step out into the impossible. It's a time to live in the supernatural. Yes, the power of God moving in church, healing and delivering people. But when you go out into the street, you go to your work, you go to your school, the power of God shows up. This is a day where will be so extreme in the glory of God that heathen will begin to say, does God walk among men? They look just like Jesus. They sound just like Jesus. They look like a God. What happened? The glory of God showed up. So you believe, you don't get depressed, you don't get saddened by what you see on the news, you just know it's all going to turn. It has to turn. Jesus is coming back. He's not going to let this generation keep going and coming without people know that Jesus is returning. So in the midst of judgment, in the midst of the world getting its rewards for how it's lived, Remember, God has blessed you. So when it all goes down, they have to look to you because you're the best time to be the church. So don't let Satan push you into a corner. Don't let his news reporters, his celebrities, his politicians make you think the church is not relevant for today. 
Oh, this is the finest hour for the church. It's the time of God's glorious power. So you just believe. You just rejoice in joy unspeakable, filled with glory. We've been looking on Wednesday night for the last few weeks. Glory means heavy with everything good. So in this time, we must rejoice in that joy and everything good that we need. Everything that you need and that you desire. Because God will give you the desires of your heart. And everything good that you need to meet the assignment to bless somebody else will come rushing in. Why? This is the age of heroes. This is your age. This is your time. This is your season. Glory to God. Glory to God. My assignment for this series, the last six to eight weeks, was just to exhort you, to stir you up concerning your dreams and your purposes. That if God could do it for them, he can and he will do it for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Go ahead, let's praise God for a moment. Father, we thank you. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> yes, glory to God. Glory to God. Yes, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, glory to God. Come on, give him glory for a moment. Give him glory for a moment. Give him glory for a moment. Come on and give him glory. Give him glory. In the glory, give him glory. When the glory moves, you just say glory. Oh, we give you glory. Glory to the God of glory. Glory to the Father of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 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 Y'all don't mind if I flow in the Holy Ghost for a moment, do you? Give me my business leaders, my business owners. Come quickly. Come quickly. Everybody owns a business. Get here now. Get here now. Line them up. Line them up. Glory. 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 Line them up in a line. I'm going to lay hands as many as I can. <laughs> what I'm about to say doesn't make sense, but it makes faith. I decree over you a no-budget anointing that everything that has limited you will be moved out the way. That whatever you need for the next fiscal year, you'll get double or more. I speak the blessing of God that was on Noah to rebuild the world. That was on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. That has come to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the blessing of God. No limits, no budget, no limits, no budget. Poor, poor, El Shaddai's anointing. The anointing of El Shaddai. That anointing, that anointing. Woo, that anointing, that anointing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, let that dream come to pass. Woo, Jesus. Woo, Jesus. The anointing. Oh, that anointing. Woo, that anointing. That anointing. That anointing. That anointing. <laughs> that anointing. Woo! <laughs> that anointing. That anointing. That anointing. Oh, that anointing. That anointing. That anointing that flow. That anointing. The anointing of God is a demonstration 
of your expectation. Your celebration is a demonstration of your expectation. Your celebration is a demonstration of your expectation. <laughs> Some, some really big things that don't make sense. So, turn it up, Kojic style. I'm gonna rejoice. Y'all give me about 60 minutes, 60 seconds, so I can get in my rejoicing, okay? Hit it. Glory to God. like Hollywood only gets you so far. But there's some times when you just need mean business. And sometimes when you mean business with the Holy Ghost, it doesn't look that pretty. It doesn't look like dignified. It's like David who danced before the Lord. And 
They said to him, you look undignified. But what happened is the glory came back. So David began to dance and rejoice. And so I'm just believing God for big things in my life and for this church. And I truly believe that this, our celebration is a demonstration of our expectation. So some of you may have never danced before. But when the Holy Ghost is moving like this, just do something. So whether you can do your two-step, do your charismatic hop, whether you just raise your hands, you just plug into what the Holy Ghost is doing. Even if you're dignified. See, I was at a, <laughs> halfway explains it, I was at a Mark Hankins meeting last night. And he began to talk about the feast of joy that the Old Testament Jews would have right after the Day of Atonement. And they said that in this time, the most dignified, the smartest, and the richest will begin to dance, will begin to jump, will begin to celebrate and act like they had no sense, quote unquote. So the thing is, if that is what was set for us in the Old Testament, and what some of you still do to this day on big holy days, it's dumb not to rejoice. So I don't want anybody here to look dumb. It's poor not to rejoice. So I don't want anybody to look broke. So I'm gonna give you just 10 more seconds, just so that you don't look dumb or poor. Celebrate like you expect. Everything God said is about to come to pass. So let's take this 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey! I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Also, if you want to support the ministry financially, you can go to FCCGA.com and follow the directions there. If you want more about the subject of heroes that we've been talking about in this broadcast, go onto iTunes or onto Amazon Kindle and download Biblical Heroes Volume 1. Have an amazing day.